This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 599 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. The League and Legion are bystanders in their own title. Harley Squad gets a special. Wahaha backstories. The Cubs have adventures. Patton handles minor threats. Hildy is found guilty. And it's Wild Cards Day in the Big Apple. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, September 4th, 2022. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and maybe leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. We're doing this off week. We're posting a crisis episode for the next episode, as we'll be on vacation. See the SFPPN blogs for more details. Justice League versus Legion of Superheroes number five of six by Bendis, Godlewski, and Cody. A couple general things I've noticed about Brian Michael Bendis's work after reading this and the latest issue of Dark Horse's Pearl, which we won't be covering otherwise. Number one, while he generates a lot of concepts in his works, he can't seem to write an ending. And number two, more and more, his main characters are not protagonists. Things just happen to them as they stand by and watch. With that said, Ultra Boy brings the reader up to speed, and we cut to the United teams in present day. They argue and quip a lot. Batman wants to examine Gold Lantern's ring in light of Epoch's warning to the League. Finally, Gold Lantern bolts only to run into the great darkness floating above. What comes out of the great darkness? The Legion of Doom complex, of course. Gold Lantern relents and hands over the ring, followed by exposition and more quipping. Triplicate Girl decides to form back into a single being, despite one of them now being very old. Forty. It goes fine. Rose Thorne suggests that the goal of their unknown adversary is to ensure the age of heroes doesn't happen, and Triplicate Girl notes that a face and name appeared in their mind when they merged. Who is Vandal Savage? There's a huge explosion of light, everyone turns into photonegatives, and are apparently destroyed. Vandal Savage walks out of the light and gloats. Really? Vandal Savage? Mr. Deus Ex Machina? Meh. Harley Quinn, the animated series, The Real Sidekicks of New Gotham Special, by Franklin, Saren, Jones, Quasarano, Henderson, Shin, Faber, Moscata, Holden, Borak, and Mikkel. If you haven't watched the HBO Max Harley Quinn animated series, you're missing out. It is not for the kiddies. Not at all. But for the DC fans, there's a host of Easter eggs while providing a satisfying story. This special comes directly out of the Eat, Bang, Kill comic miniseries, which is also based on the TV continuity. A set of short stories are tied together by an episode of Tawny Talks, which is Tawny Young's afternoon talk show, I guess. 
members of Harley's supporting cast come through, telling stories with a whole Jerry Springer flair. Double Date is the longest story by far and covers Vixen's complicated relationship with girlfriend Elle. She's become buddies with Harlivy, their couple name, while Vixen is, of course, a hero. Also, Elle is a person with a disability. She's down one leg. Mari slash Vixen is doing a job for Batman, trying to figure out what some martial art villainesses are up to. She sends in some rats to do reconnaissance. Bruce and we learn Mari can speak to animals and she learns some secret shipment is coming. Meanwhile, Vixel and Harlivy go out for a girls' night, and Vixen realizes that the anti-heroes aren't so bad, especially when they team up to fight off the White Rabbit and her gang. They wind up on Tani's couch and discuss their lives. Vixen says she's always been attracted to men and women, but didn't think it was anyone's business. Harley announces an anti-hero for hire service. Identity Crisis stars Batgirl, who's doing some community cleanup until she remembers she has a study session. Meanwhile, her dad is being hacked by the Clip Clop app, and Wayne Book is down for some reason. Babs goes to her coding final, which happens to involve hacking into Wayne's security. So, free network testing? She runs into a virtual Batgirl and realizes her study mate may be responsible for the system issues. He also finds out her secret identity. She stops him and breaks into Wayne Tech, passing the test. Later, she's on Tawny's couch, forced to talk about another member of the Bat team, Macaroni, a Revolutionary War-themed hero. The calculator breaks in and announces he knows Batgirl's identity. Clayface steps in to impersonate Babs while Batgirl is on screen. Problem solved. She now knows her study partner is Calculator. On to Showtime, starring Clayface. It's a flashback story to the time he found himself in Vegas doing gigs as a quasi-celebrity. One of these involves the mob, who wants him to be at a daughter's Sweet 16. Turns out they want him to act as a DJ as a fun way to humiliate him. One of the mob daughter's friends helps him to escape. And she turns out to be Clayface's daughter, who he had forgotten in a drug-induced haze. Or he just decided to forget her? Clayface and daughter are on Tawny's show alongside an arm, call him Armani, also apparently forgotten. There's a fight and security is called in. The next story is about fathers and sons. Wild Ride stars Dr. Psycho, his son, and the Joker, who in this continuity is the mayor after turning his life around and getting married. Neither villain can relate to their kids, and King Shark, who has no kids, tries to give advice. There's a bright flash, and the trio find themselves in a Saw movie. Psycho thinks his own powers are running amok, but it turns out his kid is responsible. In the end, Psycho's son goes to prom and all is forgiven, while Shark and Joker apparently fight to the death. Psycho, son, and mom, Giganta, wind up on the couch, and Psycho is confronted over his non-respectful ways. Two Jokers sees the domesticated clown prince having to host his college buddy, another Joker. In the main comics, there are now three Jokers. I know, it's dumb. They wind up in a fight in the mayor's office, using keys to the city as weapons. They reconcile, and the visiting Joker is given the chance to do his act, with Joker gas to get a good response. Cut back to Tawny, who's watching a big fight among her guests. This should get her five seasons at least. Tales of the Human Target, Book 1, from DC Black Label, by King, McGuire, Jannon, Albuquerque, and Smallwood. This is something to tide us over between the two halves of King's miniseries. Again, why not just get a non-continuity mini in the can before announcing it? 
Three seemingly separate stories starring members of the Bwahaha era Justice League all happening before the main storyline. Guy Gardner fights Brother Blood and his disciple, a former Hollywood trust fund kid, under their sway. Let's just say Guy doesn't have a restrained approach to such things. He saves the young man, then beats the crap out of him. Booster Gold decides to save a famous writer from an attacker and then moves in with him to provide round-the-clock protection. The writer tells him to go away, but Booster is insistent. As always, Skeets is there to correct Booster on his revisionist history. Fire, in her early modeling days in Paris, sees her photographer shot in front of her and, with no relatives there, decides to become the man's friend and protector. This goes all the way to the hospital and, after his death, to his gravesite. In each case, the victim turns out to be Christopher Chance on a job. They are all relating their stories to Ice, who is making her plans when she meets Chance, which points to her still being his likely killer. The miniseries resumes next month. I read these two comics one after the other, and I thought it was interesting how we had two sort of anthology-like stories about the characters in another miniseries. Yeah. (laughs) It's very weird. Fables number 154 from DC Black Label by Willingham, Buckingham, and Leia Loa. Raccoon Squire Polly attempts to drum up interest in the upcoming battle. Some animals ignore him, others suggest migration. The black man from earlier in the story warps in and falls among them, and the animals scatter. I forget who this is. I think it's Uncle Remus. Winter Wolf regards the cup of tea on the tortoise's back, which holds a whole world. She turns into wind and goes down to take a look, although the tortoise warns her she can never return. The residents there wonder where she came from. Connor Wolf runs into an itinerant hero on the road who offers a role in a dangerous mission. Blossom Wolf stumbles through a set of locked treasure chests while a mysterious voice suggests she breaks open a lock. Oh, this is stupid. Why can't I find a clean and pretty adventure? Ambrose Wolf, still trapped in the monster's library, is convinced he's going to be eaten. The monster replies that he just wants to keep him there forever. He can't seem to get Ambrose to understand this at first, but he finally gets it and laughs. He's part of a pretty dynamic family and just walks out the door thanking the monster for the adventure. Jack of the Green, with Mrs. Barrett's side, wants to find where the greatest danger to the forest lies. Are you just making this up as you go? I don't know. Maybe. There's a flash and they reappear in modern Central Park. Minor Threats number 1 from Dark Horse by Oswald, Blue, Hepburn, Herring, and Picos. Actor, stand-up, and comic fan Pat Oswald gets his chance to write his own indie series. He's already done multiple guest creative works. This is about a world of supervillains where the heroes may be out of control. Frankie, a.k.a. Playtime, daughter of Toy Queen, is trying to clean up her life as a bartender in a joint where villains hang out, which is the only job she can get. On one of the rafters, there's an assortment of DC and Marvel heroes masks as souvenirs. The D-list bad guys are making plans, not realizing their glory days are over, if they ever had them. Scalpel, a mob doctor, comes in for a drink. Pigeon Pete, an OG villain, tries to sell a weapon to a military mummy. A hero crashes in with a gravely injured hero in his arms, ordering Scalpel to save him. They are told that the Insomniac, one of the great heroes, did this. A news report says that Stickman has murdered Insomniac's sidekick, Kid Dusk. Clearly, the code among heroes and villains is out the window. 
The searcher, leader of the continuum, sends a message to the entire town, strongly encouraging someone to provide Stickman's whereabouts. We flash back to Frankie getting out of prison, only to find out that no one will hire her, so she's forced to get help from her mom. Back to the present and what has become a massive search. The heroes are even going into Redport, the bad part of town. Frankie sees the mummy soldier being shaken down by another hero and is told to move along. She goes to see her ex-husband and daughter, only to be grabbed by another hero in front of them. The dad tells her to stay out of their lives. Another flashback, with Frankie tied upside down by a Batman and Robin-esque team. She returns to the bar and makes a proposal. They all team up to take out Stickman themselves, ending the hero's attack. I'm really enjoying this so far. I was surprised. Guilt number five of five from Ahoy Comics. The magical time travel saga winds up for now. In 1973, the Pan Am flight has crashed in the water, and the stewardess is telling Hildy and who appears to be Lou Reed to get out. He's worried about expensive sunglasses he just bought. Back to current day, and Trista meeting Ash again. There's a bit of exposition before they kiss, just as Hildy arrives, now 10 years even older due to violating the building ethics code. Vera is freaked out and goes to leave, only to find Paulette at the door. They need to get to the tenants' meeting and are reset to the ages of their truest selves. Hildy belches up the older tenant as a spirit who warns her to get a move on. Back in 1973, Hildy, in a rapidly submerging plane, saves Lou from drowning. Back to present day, when an older elevator guy takes them to their destination. Hildy and Trista find themselves trapped in a storage room, and one of them breaks through the transom, a test of her resiliency. Back in 1973, Trista gets a lesson about a lost yo-yo, and that same yo-yo is in the hands of a skeleton in the storage room. The whole group comes back together for the tenant meeting, and they find an older Mr. Man, now the president of the tenant board. There's talk of how serious Hildy's temporal transgressions are, and then Hildy makes the unexpected move to pass her apartment to Trista. She's moving into assisted living. But I don't deserve it. Ah, but that's the way with life and Manhattan real estate. Good or bad, we don't always get what we deserve. But to quote the Stones, sometimes we get what we need. The hourglass symbols appear in Hildy's eyes as she ages again. Another tenant complains about Hildy abandoning her consequences and plans to run for board president. They all wind up on the building rooftop wrapping things up. I don't know how to thank you for what you've done for me, Hildy. Give it time, kid. Give it time. Despite the confusing ending, I hope this gets another miniseries. Wild Cards, Drawing of Cards number 2 from Marvel by Cornell, Hawthorne, D. Benedetto, and Redmond. The retelling of the first book in George R. R. Martin's shared saga continues. The government's finally ready to listen to Dr. Tachyon, who lays it all out for them. He's from an alien race. Said race wants to test in a genetic bomb on Earth. Tachyon stopped the bad guys, but the bomb is still out there. Now, Dr. Todd has sent the government a threat. He wants money or he's dropping said bomb. After all that, President Truman and his advisors are convinced the whole thing's a hoax. Suddenly, there's word of an attack on New York City. Todd is not happy the government won't believe him, but they will after the attack, when he will threaten L.A., despite having only one bomb. Jet Boy, with the only plane that can fly high enough, attacks Todd Zeppelin. He's forced to crash into it and finds his way inside. He has no idea who this arch enemy even is. They duke it out and Todd falls out. 
just as he shoots the bomb and the city becomes chaos with some people dissolving, others becoming deformed. As we already know, some of them will become aces, a.k.a. superhumans. On the radio we hear, these horrors could not have been imagined before this day, as Tachyon weeps. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.